you know, learned a lot right here. I thought things were going to be easy just with my background and everything, but uh, I learned very quickly and in a very harsh way that, you know, I really had some things to learn about being an entrepreneur, being a successful real estate investor, and, uh, and just, you know, how to, how to really move forward. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Tom Dunkel. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not familiar with Tom, he is Chief Investment Officer at Bellrose Storage Group and has over 27 years of real estate and investment experience and has specialized in investing in discounted asset properties nationwide since 2006. Tom, sir, it's great to see you. Welcome to the show. Yeah, wow. I must be old when you say 2006. That sounds like a long time ago, man. <laughs> you know, it, it, it does sound like a long time ago, but I got to tell you, you know, since you've been in this since 2006, I'm a little bit jealous. I wish I would have been able to start back then too, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thank you, Dan. This is great being with you and listeners today. Uh, yeah, I'm Tom Dunkel. I'm Chief Investment Officer of Bellrose Storage Group. And uh, just a little about my background. I, uh, I actually started out in corporate America. Uh, after getting my uh, my business degree, uh, my MBA, I uh, ended up doing mergers and acquisitions and uh, corporate finance work in the aerospace uh, and uh, software and IT services industry. So that was that was a lot of fun. I worked with some amazing people during that stretch. Uh, in the aerospace industry, I worked with uh, astronauts and uh, ex fighter pilots and uh, you know officer, you know Air Force colonel, you know retired Air Force colonels, stuff like that. So. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a ton of fun, and it gave me a great foundation uh, to uh, then you know build my career upon. But I I just knew in my heart that that you know kind of grinding through you know up that corporate ladder just wasn't for me. Um, I'm not you know I'm not one to you know play politics and you know play all those you know games. It seems you need to do to get ahead in, in that world. So, uh, 2006, uh, I actually got fired from my corporate job. So uh, it sort of forced me at that point, because uh, you know, I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old at home. I was like, all right, well, I think this is a sign that it's finally time for me to go out and do my own thing. So thankfully, um, you know, I had been socking away some, some money. Uh, so when I, when I uh, abruptly left corporate America in 2006, I was like, all right, I can finally you know, start my real estate empire, right? So I had this you know, great education, great background with some amazing mentors and uh then of course we ran head into uh the great recession right right so that that nice pile of cash that i had gone that those next few years just uh just got crushed um and but you know learned a lot right here i thought things were going to be easy just with my background and everything but uh, I learned very quickly and in a very harsh way that, you know, I really had some things to learn about being an entrepreneur, being a successful real estate investor, and uh, and just, you know, how to how to really move forward. So it was around about that time uh, I found uh, distressed mortgage debt. So that was kind of my first reinvention after the crash. So uh, 
been in that business now 13 years, and that's uh, been a great business, but it's also been a very volatile business. Uh, it's been very up and down. Uh, so along the way, tried some different things that might help me to kind of smooth out uh, my business and personal cash flow. And so we tried, you know, hard money lending company. We tried a title company. Uh, we tried doing some fix and flips. Um, we have a, a, a rental, uh, a short-term rental portfolio, which is just kind of bumping along. But when we discovered self-storage around 2017, 2018, the light bulb really went off for me. And uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking more about it, Danny, but you know, there's... It checks so many boxes for me as an investor who's who's been in a ton of different asset classes over the years. Uh, we just we just are super excited about being in that industry right now. Yeah, and I you know I think there's a couple of things I really want to take away from that and just just really at home is you know you you kind of had a a major shift right and it really wasn't something that you decided like you said you lost your job and then you hit the GFC two huge things to the start of your real estate investing career right it's just it's just one of those things but you know looking back. Um, obviously those are probably hard times and you're like, oh man, this is crazy. But, you know, looking back, you got to be thankful for that, that it happened. Right. I mean, uh, it's tough. It's tough in the moment, but now you're probably thinking, man, if those things wouldn't have happened, maybe I wouldn't have gone into real estate. Cause I know a lot of people, they need that extra nudge to get into something new. Right. Well, you were forced into it. So maybe, you know, that helped a little bit, but, um, I think those are great lessons to have and take with you, you know, uh, if anybody's listening, going through something like that, I think they should be able to take that, uh, take away from that as well. And just like you alluded to uh, just a minute ago, we are going to dive into self-storage because I think it's a great asset class. Just before we hit record, I was talking about how it's one of my personal favorite asset classes to invest in passively. So super excited to dive into it. Um, with that being said, you know, you guys are the experts over at Bellrose. So um, let's dive into that. And, you know, as a, as a real estate investor, um, self-storage is great for a lot of reasons, right? So before we get into all that, though, tell us about your strategy the focus of Bell Rose, kind of like the type of markets you operate in, the type of properties you look at, and just overall your business plan and strategy. Yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, we we do love uh, self storage, and we are, um, I would say, kind of the the lower kind of middle market of uh, right. self storage. So, you know, we've my partner Joe Downs and I, you know, we we connected back in 2010. So we're going on 13 years of being business partners, and you know, we're we connect that on like a, a core values level. You know, we've never wanted to like build a huge corporation, never wanted to be like the biggest we've, but we do want to be the best at what we do. So, uh, you know, there's certainly plenty of companies out there that are bigger than Bellrose storage group. Uh, but we, uh, find that, uh, we're really enjoying and, and taking advantage of the fact that we're very agile and we don't need huge deals to like, you know, I don't know, feed our ego or whatever. Sure, right. So we have uh, found a, a niche not only within storage, uh, but it, within uh, different markets. So we are focusing on secondary and tertiary markets, meaning, you know, so we're not like in Atlanta, right? But we're we're about 20 miles, you know, 30 miles outside Atlanta. And so we're trying to, um, as an example... Uh, but we're trying to uh, just really find those areas where, uh, of course, self-storage is needed and there's demand, but the big guys, you know, the public storage and extra space and CubeSmart, you know, they're not coming in and just, you know, gobbling up that market and, and messing it up for the uh, the smaller, more right. agile players like us. And so it, it I mean, as, a, as another example, Danny, we, we just acquired a facility up in uh, New York State, up uh, upstate New York. And the, the owner specifically told us like, 
hey, I like you guys. You know, he's an older guy. He started the facility himself. He built it from scratch, ran it for a bunch of years. And he's he's like, you know, U-Haul came along. They wanted to buy it from me. You know, they offered up me all this money. But he's like, I, I didn't want to do business with that big company. So I, I like you guys. You guys are small. You know, you kind of remind me back of when I got started, you know, way back when. You know, he's like in his early 80s or something. And so, you know, we find that we're able to build that rapport with those mom and pop owners and uh, and find these off-market opportunities. And so it's been working out real well for us. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's one of the the best things about it, right? You really found your niche, you found where you fit in, and you're able to create this basically somewhat of a moat or a competitive advantage because that's the size of your, you know, the size of your company, what you're looking for. You can make these connections and you can, you really understand what you're looking for in the deal and how you're trying to build your portfolio. So I think that's absolutely huge, whether you're trying to build a business or just an investor, right? Knowing what you're going after and building everything else around that, right? So love to hear that. That's right. And so, you know, having you on the show, super excited about it uh, because I don't get to talk to a ton of people with boots on the ground when it comes to self storage every once in a while. But so we got you here today. So I got to ask, how has self-storage performed over, say, let's, let's say six to 12 months, somewhere around there? How has it performed? What does it look like uh, with your experience? Sure. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we love about self-storage, Danny, is that for 40 years, the occupancy of self-storage facilities around the country has gently meandered between like 80 and 90%. And so what that means is if you have those units, you know, generally full, you know, most of the time you're going to have consistent income. And if you think about the last 40 years, right, we've had, you know, I lived through the uh, internet bubble burst way back when, you know, I'd lived through the GSC, you know, so I lived through these ups and downs and the, and the, you know, the expansions and everything in between, but storage is just, you know, it's like that steady, you know, tortoise, you know, that's, that's going to win the race. Uh, so we, we absolutely love that uh, about storage. Yeah, I think that's a an incredible statistic. Forty years. I mean, you you're not going to get that almost anywhere else, right? So I think that's that's something you really got to to pay attention to. Um, and you know, so here we are. Um, it's the end of 2022. It's been kind of a weird couple of years. You know, the last couple of years have been a little turbulent. And now, sure, you know, the Fed. One of the topics, the uh, biggest topics of the year has been inflation, right? And the Fed's action. You know, the raising interest rates, all of that stuff. And that if that has been that affects and felt across many. Th- sectors of real estate, right? So, you know, as investors, we always want to be considering um, these economic challenges and how they impact our investments, all that kind of stuff. So with that in mind, can you talk about how inflation has or could potentially uh, affect the self-storage business? Sure, sure. Yeah. And that, and uh, it's a it's a more complete answer to what, uh, you know, my sure. long-winded answer a second ago. But yeah, so, so specifically, you know, the more recent times, uh, of course, you know, inflation has been running rampant, you know, you know, bacon's now $10 a pound. I mean, it's kind of crazy out there, but thankfully again, in storage, um, our, uh, our units are rented on a month to month basis. Mm. So that gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of our frequency of being able to increase rates. So as, as inflation is bumping up, you know, we're able to bump up our rates, uh, as fast, if not faster. So across our portfolio last year, Danny, our, our rental rates were up 15%. Uh, across our entire portfolio. And that's one of the things we certainly look for when we are acquiring a facility is a facility where it, you know, it's mom and pop owned and you know, you, this might sound crazy, but we see it all the time, but some of these moms and pops, especially if they've been asleep at the wheel the last couple of years with the increase in demand for storage, a lot of their rates are 30, 40% below market. 
So that's a real easy way for us to go in and just automatically increase the value of that facility. Well, I love to hear that, man. And you know, as 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 a passive real estate investor, we love the stability of of of, of self storage and a lot of other components, right? And yeah. you know, partnering with an operator like yourself who really knows what they're doing, I think it's a it's a win win combination, right? And so you mentioned, you know, the the raise of rates and the steadiness of 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 self-storage over the past 40 years, basically, right, in terms of occupancy. Well, you know, right. like you said, you're going through a lot of different ups and downs in the economy with that, right? And we kind of touched on a little bit uh, there previously, but, you know, self-storage has basically been dubbed recession-resistant by many people, right? It's kind of like you think of sure. self-storage investing, you think of it being a recession-resistant uh, product. And so, obviously, uh, if it's been, if you had high occupancy through the last 40 years, obviously, that's probably true. But what are some of the what are some of the demand drivers that that make that true, right? What are some of the reasons why self-storage is known to be recession-resistant other than things we've already touched on? Sure, sure. Well, of course, you know, the last few years, you know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has kind of tipped everything over. But what that forced people to do was, you know, that spare bedroom that they have for their guests or, you know, coming over to visit, not anymore. They had to take that bedroom furniture and send it to storage because they needed a home office. And so that's been a big driver the last couple of years. But of course, that was just sort of a an oddball anomaly, you know, these last few years. But generally speaking, uh, you know, you've got ba baby boomers that are downsizing, you know, from their big houses down to smaller houses. Uh, you've got, uh, you know, unfortunately, divorce is still a driver of, of storage. Any kind of displacement, uh, death, of course, is you know, bad. You know, bad things like that unfortunately happen, and people need to you know, empty out grandma's house and, you know, they don't want to throw those, you know, family heirlooms away. They want to, they want to store them. Uh, so those over time have generally been uh, the big drivers. And then the last one I'll throw in there, Danny, is, um, is uh, you know, a lot of millennials, right? They're, they don't want that big McMansion that their parents had, right? So they, they want a smaller, more manageable living situation, but they still want their toys, right? The kayaks and the bicycles, right? So they'll have a smaller home or apartment or condo or townhouse or whatever. Um, but then down the street, they'll want to have uh, convenience uh, to a self-storage facility where they can keep their toys and their holiday decorations and things like that. Absolutely. And those are those are great reasons. And you can, you can actually understand those reasons, right? That makes sense. That make a lot of sure. sense to to the to the retail investor, you know, like, okay, I can see why that be the case. And I got to be honest with you, you know, uh, I think it was, Right before COVID hit, I had decided to uh, to move, and uh, I put my stuff into storage, and it sat there for years. You know, it's just one of those things. It's like, hey, this is going to be a lot more easier for me yeah. to keep this in storage than to say move this around. You know, again and again because I kind of I, right. I move I move somewhat frequently, so it's one of those things. Let me just park this here, and it, it's really saved me a lot of headache by having that storage unit. You know, so uh, that's right. I abs absolutely love that. So you know, we talked about. Uh, you know, there being some turbulent times uh, in the economy right now. And um, as investors, again, we're always trying to, uh, the things we're most concerned about is risk mitigation and capital preservation, right? We always want to make those kind of like the top goals. So uh, maybe from a passive investor standpoint, or just maybe just um, an, any type of uh, self-storage investor standpoint, what are some of the top risks we need to be paying attention to, or we should be aware of as self-storage investors? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And, um, you know, one of the things we love about storage is it really gives us the the three elements that people are looking for um, in an investment opportunity. You know, they're, they're typically looking for uh, security, uh, income, and growth, right? And usually they're okay with one or two out of those three, right? If you're buying stocks, right, 
maybe, you know, you're probably like a growth, you know, kind of investor, but you're not getting the income and the security, right? If you're a little more conservative, maybe you buy a bond, right? You got your bond that's paying 5% interest. So on your $1,000 bond, you're getting your 50 bucks a year. And then when the bond matures, you get your thousand bucks back. So there's no growth there. But with self-storage, we've got all three, right? We've got security. It's a hard asset. You know, real estate does not go to zero, right? And then you've got the income, right? Like we talked about, you've got the consistent streams of income coming in. And then real estate generally goes up over time. Are there speed bumps here and there? Of course. But I'll take those speed bumps over the stock market speed bumps any day. Any day yeah. So now that all being said, of course, there's risks associated with, with investing in self-storage. Uh, they're mostly uh, macro uh, in, involved. So like in a, so that's why we spend a lot of time really getting to know the market because uh, the market where the self-storage facility is, is sitting, uh, we really need to get our arms around what's happening there. Is the population growing or is it declining? Are there jobs coming in or are they moving out? Uh, are they, is the municipality or the state or the county or what, are they making infrastructure investments in that area? Are there houses being built or no? So we, I think if, if you if you make a mistake in that analysis, you can end up with a storage facility that maybe you, you can't push the rates. Maybe you are going to struggle with vacancies. Uh, and maybe you go, maybe if you're, if you're in a market, Maybe with a declining uh, per capita income, you know, maybe you're going to run into delinquency issues and things like that. So we we always spend a lot of time making sure we fully understand uh, the, the market for sure. And then ultimately, uh, it is a business that's being run. So if you get if you get a bad manager in place and they're you know upsetting customers or things like that, and they're and customers are moving out, you know that that can be an issue as well. Uh, so it, that's a, probably a smaller risk. Um, I always tell people I'd rather have kind of a mediocre facility in a really good market than a really good facility in a mediocre market. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, these those are perfect reasons uh, to point out why I'm not an active investor, right? This is why I'm not being a self store, uh, an active self storage operator and owner, right? Because uh, I'm leveraging you guys who you have market knowledge. You guys have done the ins and outs. You've you've studied the trends and the demographics, and the, and you know where to buy the properties. And then to your other point, you guys are managing the employees, hiring and firing as needed. And uh, you guys have that process already in place as to where I don't have any of that built, right? So uh, being right. a passive investor is absolutely beautiful in that case. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we've got all the KPIs that we track, the key performance indicators. And so we make sure that our managers are hitting those numbers. Otherwise, they're gone. We'll bring somebody else in. Absolutely. Love to hear that, man. Okay, so I want to shift a little bit. This is actually something I heard uh, on another show you were on, I think. But you know, when I first got into passive real estate investing, uh, the type of deals I was looking at, there were only single asset opportunities, right? And that wasn't necessarily by any type of design of my own. It was just... It just happened to be the groups that I was partnering with, that was their focus, right? And so um, anyway, over the past few years, we're beginning to see, or at least I'm beginning to see, more and more fund model opportunities hit the market, right? And, uh, you know, I kind of want to dive into the pros and cons of, of each of those models, a single asset versus the fund. Uh, but before we do that, can you give maybe like a, just a, for our listeners a high-level overview of the single asset investment model versus the fund model and what those are? Yeah, sure. So at Bellrose Storage Group, uh, the way we're currently set up anyway, uh, we are uh, going to be at deal by deal uh, and we're we're doing uh, small private uh, syndications uh, for each of those acquisitions. So uh, meaning we're basically just going out and getting 
uh, private investors, accredited investors that can put up a uh, hundred thousand, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand bucks at a time, and we put that group together. If we need you know, a couple million bucks to go buy a facility that's you know uh, we're acquiring for call it four and a half million, um, you know that group will be have their pro rata ownership of the of the facility, and they'll enjoy the cash flow and the and the increase in value uh, if all goes according to plan. Um, so that's 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 a single asset kind of model, a syndication kind of model, and we really like that because um, as investors ourselves, uh, one of the things that we think is key, and like, and if I'm an investor, which I do invest in other people's deals as a limited partner, one of the things I look for is I want to make sure that our our interests are aligned as closely as as they can be, right? Um, so in a in a deal by deal syndication gives the investor a lot of flexibility to say, hey, you know what? I don't I don't like that market or I don't like that deal for whatever reason. Um, but, you know, I like this next one over here for, you know, these other set of, of reasons. So it gives them the flexibility to be able to pick and choose which opportunities they want to take advantage of and which ones just for whatever reason aren't sitting well with them. And, and so they can take a pass on those. Uh, and then on the fun side of things, uh, th now there, there are a zillion different fund structures. I feel like I hear like a different fund structure every day almost. Uh, but on the fund side, right, uh, the probably the most common one that people think of is that you're you're investing with a sponsor and they have an investment thesis. They have a particular niche that they're going after, and you say, okay, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna invest my hundred thousand, and then just let them go off and and do their thing, and you know get my investment, you know get my returns and my investment back later. Uh, that to me is um, into the, in a blind pool kind of situation. It does. It's to me that that doesn't line up my interests with the sponsor's interests quite as well as a deal by deal. Um, and the reason is because when I'm put when I'm putting up that hundred thousand dollars, they may not have a property picked out yet. And so if you know self storage has become pretty popular, so there are a lot of funds popping up out there, and they're raising all this money. But now you got to go deploy it. So I feel like that could put the sponsor of the fund in a position where they're like, holy cow, I've got all this money. I better go put it to work. And so they might, you know, make push, you know, they might kind of push the envelope on if, it, if a deal actually makes sense or not because they feel pressured to, to put that money to work. And, uh, you know, I think... Um, there are plenty of funds out there that have you know great sponsors and great operators, and they don't run into the, those kinds of issues. But it's just for me personally, as an investor, I do like the the deal by deal. Uh, it generally sits better with me. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Tom, I agree with you 100%. Uh, those are the exact reasons why uh, I've mostly invested in single asset syndications. I, I am in a in a fund or two, and, and they're okay. I can see the pros and cons to those as well, yep. but uh, I do prefer the uh, the single asset syndication. Again, it's just a personal preference, kind of like what you're saying. You know, you just see it, it aligns with your, with your interests uh, more than anything. Um, okay, man, you know what? This has been great. Um, before we get ahead of though, I got to ask about Bell Rose. So, you know, we're creeping into 2023. What's on the horizon for you guys? And what's, what's, um, what are the goals for 2023? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Well, we've, we definitely have, uh, growth goals. Uh, we've, uh, we've, but we've accomplished a lot, uh, up to this point. So we have, uh, over a quarter million square feet, uh, of storage in our portfolio right now. Um, and we've acquired about $30 million of storage uh, the past couple of years. 
Um, but next year, uh, we're looking to acquire uh, 30 to 40 million just next year. Um, and our goal is to acquire 150 million of storage over the next three years. So we definitely have some growth goals. Uh, we've got a rock star team. Our team is amazing. Uh, so I feel like we're positioned really well uh, to take advantage of potentially some opportunities as the as the economy might get a little rocky here. Uh, you know, we've got investors and we've got our own uh, capital, you know, kind of teed up, ready, you know, dry powder, ready to go out and take advantage potentially of uh, some distress opportunities. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, but, you know, we're excited about our team and you know, we're just out there uh, really trying to build our investor database right now, honestly, because uh, to, to buy 150 million of storage over the next three years, we're going to need about 50 million bucks from our investor partners. So, yeah, I love to hear it. I love those growth goals, Matt. And uh, for all the listeners listening, if you're looking to get into self-storage, especially if it's a passive investor, definitely link up with Tom and Bell Rose. You know, they're going to be uh, someone that could put your money to work in a great asset type. So love to hear that. Um, you know, this has been a great conversation, Tom. I think we could probably talk about self-storage all day. But, uh, uh, you know, before we get out of here, though, um, tell us more about what you guys got going on. I know you have a free resource. Definitely talk about that and just anything else you have. We do, yeah. So, Danny, yeah, as an investor myself over the past 16, going on 17 years, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot along the way. I've made some mistakes. I've done some good things too. But uh, so basically, my partner Joe and I, we compiled all of our you know lessons learned into an ebook uh, that we call the Safe Method Checklist. So, Safe is a uh, it's an acronym. Um, S A F E S stands for sponsor. A stands for asset. F stands for financials. E stands for exit. So, for a you know for a busy professional who's, who wants to be a passive investor in uh, an alternative investment like a storage or multifamily or whatever, uh, it gives them a framework to say, okay, these are the questions that I should be asking in these different categories. So, S is for sponsor. You want to find out as much as you can about your sponsor. You know, what's their track record? How long have they been in this industry? Are they putting up their own money? You know, are they criminals? <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, a is for asset. So what is the asset that you're actually investing in? I would love a, a crypto investor to tell me, like, what is it you're investing in? <laughs> I can tell you with self-storage, uh, you're investing in metal boxes with concrete floors and roll-up doors. It's not very yeah. sexy, but it pays. Um, F is financials. So that's, you know, what are the financial projections? What are the uh, returns looking like? You know, does that fit into my personal financial goals and, and my personal uh, portfolio? And those kinds of questions. And then E is for exit, right? So it's not like you can go to schwab.com and click, 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 sell your position in a Bellrose storage group uh, deal. Uh, you're, you need to be comfortable going in, knowing that your uh, capital is going to be tied up for two, three, four years, whatever the investment uh, horizon is for that particular opportunity. So it asks a bunch of questions about uh, how you exit. So it's available for free uh, at our uh, homepage, bellrosestoragegroup.com. You don't have to give your name, phone number, you know, social security number. I, you know, it's just you just scroll to the bottom of our homepage, and it's it's right there, ready for you to download as our. It's our gift to the investment community out there. 
Love that. That's you, Listen, that's a great resource. Those four pillars that you just mentioned are the absolute things you have to be paying attention to as a passive investor before you jump into a deal. So, you know, if you're new, if you're new to passive investing or even if you're just getting started, whatever, go check out that resources. It's going to be, I'm, it's everything you're going to need to know uh, to get started. And we're going to make sure to put that in the show notes, Tom, so all of our listeners can reach out and uh, and grab that. But uh, Tom, this has been, this has been great, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Hey, Dan, it was a lot of fun, buddy. Thank you so much. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios, and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds, and I really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.